So your convention delegates that you earn vote the first ballot, and unless somebody has a clear-cut victory, I don't see how that's going to get 1,900 and some delegate votes. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. New developments this week, but still so many questions about what happens next for Attorney General Curtis Hill, who's now facing a 60-day suspension of his law license. Birchel Edmay joins us now with more. Birchel. The hearing officer in Indiana Attorney General Curtis Hill's disciplinary hearing is recommending a 60-day suspension without an automatic reinstatement. Hill is accused of inappropriately touching four women during a legislative party in 2018. He has denied those allegations. In a report filed Friday, a hearing officer concluded Hill's conduct was, quote, offensive, invasive, and damaging to women. The state Supreme Court will have the final decision on any disciplinary action, and it's not clear how it will impact Hill's bid for re-election this year. Dan? Beershell, thanks so much. Much more ahead right now. Let's talk about the race for president. Two states down, South Bend's former mayor is leading the delegate count. But more difficult contests may be ahead in Nevada and South Carolina later this month. Could be a long, drawn-out process by the time Indiana rolls around in May. To that end, former Mayor Pete Buttigieg was here in Indy this past week. Our Kayla Sullivan has more. VIP guests enter a private fundraiser for Pete Buttigieg in Indianapolis. Money is always critical, and he's trying to build up that momentum and keep it going. Political analyst Dr. Laura Wilson notes the timing of this event says a lot. It shows that even though we're coming up to the Nevada primary and the South Carolina primary, he obviously thinks this fundraiser is important and being in Indianapolis is important because you only have so much time and he's choosing to spend some of it here with us. The former South Bend mayor is leading in terms of delegates after two primary elections. But how will he do here in Indiana, a state that Bernie Sanders won in the 2016 primary election? It's hard to say at this point, but I would tell you it says a lot about the Democratic Party, that from an ideological perspective, they're still up in the air who they want to support. Uh, Bernie obviously being much more progressive, uh, Buttigieg being much more moderate. We asked people on Twitter whether Pete Buttigieg being a Hoosier would impact whether they would vote for him. 83% say no, but 17% say yes. Wilson says if he wants to do well here, he may want to emphasize his Midwest upbringing. If he can talk about Indiana being a success, sticking to those kind of talking points, that makes Hoosiers feel good about themselves and that makes them also feel good about him and his candidacy. All right, Kayla Sullivan reporting. Kayla, thanks. This week I also spoke with Importantville's Adam Wren, who covered Thursday's fundraiser. But there were about 100 people there, and uh, the mayor received really sort of a hero's welcome. It was a, a hometown-friendly audience. Uh, he was introduced by his latest endorser, uh, Mayor Joe Hawkset, and the candidate spoke about nine minutes, gave his stump speech, and then answered questions on everything from college affordability to how he planned to attract Republicans to vote for his campaign. So, Adam, as the mayor, former mayor, holds events like this, he's also, of course, moving on to some more diverse early states, Nevada, South Carolina. They've been staffing up there. How tall a challenge will this be for him to stay in the top tier moving forward? This will really be a significant test of his ability to diversify his base. Uh, he's doing well among both educated and uneducated uh, voters. He's doing well in the suburbs, in rural areas. But whether or not, whether or not he can win these uh, majority minority states will be a telling test 
Uh, his campaign is already looking past Nevada and South Carolina uh, to Super Tuesday states, to places like Minnesota, uh, a white uh, Midwestern state, and they're focusing on counties there uh, where they think uh, they can win, where Obama uh, Trump voters uh, live. That's sort of the recipe that they're going forward with, and they pulled that sort of from their Iowa and New Hampshire win. All right, Adam Wren, thank you so much. We appreciate the insight. Thanks for being with us today. Good to be with you. All right, now from the crowded presidential primary to the crowded congressional primary here in Indiana, talking about the 5th District, where we like to say there are so many candidates you can't fit them all on the screen. Well, now another big name entering this race of 16 Republican candidates, former Marion County Prosecutor Carl Brizzy, who I spoke with earlier this week. Why did you decide to run for Congress and join this very crowded field? Well, I decided to run because our liberty is in peril. And I looked around at the field of the people uh, who were running late, late in the game, late filing, uh, and realized that, uh, that I, we were in real jeopardy of losing this seat. And the reason why losing this seat is so important is because there is an attack on the fundamental rights that make this country great, attack on the Second Amendment, attack on the First Amendment. Uh, I've been the Marion County prosecutor. I fought tough fights, and, uh, and I wanted to go to Washington and fight uh, against the progressives who are trying to impose a radical agenda on us. We'll, we'll get into more of that there in a, in a minute. It has been about uh, 10 years now since you've held public office as Marion County prosecutor. As you mentioned, you did face a, a handful of legal troubles through the years. You recently told the Indy Star that you certainly made some mistakes. You said, quote, I own them. There's nobody in this race more vetted than me. Are you concerned, though, that your opponents may use some of those past issues against you in this race? Well, I think it's important to realize that uh, when we talk about past issues, it's ink on paper. Uh, I, was, uh, I was investigated, and there were lots of salacious headlines uh, that the media was certainly happy to promote. But at the end of the day, uh, there was no there there. There were no charges brought. Um, it was an investigation. So um, it, there's... there's um, I'm not sure how to defend against, uh, against a negative, right? You think your opponents will, will try? Well, I mean, sure. Um, and here's the reason why they might try. It's because I have been writing, I've been studying, I've been podcasting about the issues that are uh, central to this country for years since I left the office. And, um, and I don't think that there's anybody else in the race um, who is as qualified and who is experienced, who's tested, who's tough enough to go out there and fight for the values that we hold dear. You, you talked about uh, taking on progressives. I want to talk more about this because this is a suburban district that Democrats are trying to flip this election year. Uh, will your party need to nominate someone who can appeal to moderates in this race? Do you think you're that candidate? Is it, is it kind of a tightrope to walk here in terms of a crowded primary uh, trying to win amongst Republican primary voters and then trying to win a district that, that might need some moderate appeal in the end? Well, I am that candidate, right? I mean, I ran in, a, in Marion County, which is a, it's a purple district. Um, this district will absolutely be in play. It's a purple district. And uh, whoever the nominee is is going to have to appeal to Democratic voters. And I've done that. I've raised the money, carried the message, tried the tough cases, and had... Uh, many, many, many thousands of Democrats cross over and vote for me. So I am that guy. We've also been talking with some of the other candidates in the race for Congress. Thank you so much. We appreciate it, Thank Carl. You. We also spoke recently with State Treasurer Kelly Mitchell. It's a wonderful district. It's vibrant. It's diverse. It's got rural. It's got urban. It has everything. And I can see why a lot of people would 
like the honor of representing the fifth. So how long have you been eyeing this position? Well, really just since the early last year and um, been thinking about it for a year. Didn't know that the opening would happen quite in the timing that it did, uh, but it did and um, seizing the opportunity. Why do you want it? Well, for a number of reasons, but really what stands out to me is I feel like our country is at a crossroads and I fear losing the America I grew up with where my choices created my future. You know, we have Democrat president candidates, presidential candidates advocating socialist ideas and socialism will break the foundation of this wonderful country. You know, we also have tremendous issues with, of course, our fiscal health. We have a $23 trillion debt and we have a trillion dollar deficit. This is not a can we can keep kicking down the road for future generations to solve. We have to solve it now. Immigration is broken. Healthcare needs reform. There are national security issues that are pressing and paramount. And I strongly feel that I am the candidate with the experience and the education and the skill set to represent this wonderful district at this critical time in D.C. All right, State Treasurer Kelly Mitchell there talking with our Kayla Sullivan last week at the State House. I'm joined now by Dr. Chuck Dietzen, who is also among the field of 16 candidates in this race. <laughs> Thanks for being here. And, and how do you stand out in such a crowded field? Well, I think most important, I'm not a politician. I'm a uh, pediatric rehab doc and had 30 years in healthcare. So uh, with healthcare being one of the, the single greatest domestic concern in this country, that's very important. And um, I'm also very interested in foreign relations as I've worked in about 20 other countries to assist them in healthcare. Well, let's talk about health care. I want to hear some of your plans, but also the president this week putting out a budget that could cut Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program and also some savings from Medicare. It could cut the HHS budget by 9%, which includes the CDC, though officials said uh, that funding aimed at fighting the coronavirus would be protected. As both a doctor and a candidate for Congress, would you be comfortable with that budget plan? Well, I'd like to take a look at it and read it in detail because it, it doesn't sound right to me. I can't imagine because you just heard in the State of the Union, President said he would not be cutting those things. Uh, one thing I was very pleased to see today is that there's going to be more emphasis put on children with disabilities, which of course is the specialty that I committed my life to to this point. Affordable Care Act, do you want to see it repealed, replaced? What would be your plan? What would be well, your, what I, I, I always question whether it was necessary to begin with. I do not know of any other doctor like myself. None of us would ever turn a patient away because they didn't have the means financially to see us. And I've talked to many, many doctors about that. Uh, I questioned whether it was necessary to begin with, and particularly when you get the government involved, you have more and more overreach, um, and, and the regulations that come with that typically interfere. So at this point, I think what we've been seeing with the bipartisan studies and looking at uh, the, what the voters want, it's going to have to be some sort of remodeling of what's already there. A, a kind of a redo, a, a repeal and replace. You know, yeah, I think, yeah. again, whether we like that or not, right. I think that's where uh, the voters are going with it. Chuck Dietzen, thank you so much. We also spoke this week and recently with some of the other candidates in the race. A lot of people getting in this race, right? A crowded field so far. Yeah, yeah. Well. We're excited about it. I'm very excited about it. I, I feel like I can be a strong representative. What made you decide to run for Congress? Well, you know, if you look at my life, it's really been a lifetime of service. I'll continue to do what I've done before is go out, talk to people, listen to what they have to say. 
I want to be in Washington, D.C. to put families first. I want to be in Washington, D.C. to assure that Hoosiers have access to affordable, high-quality health care. This is something that I believe I could be great at. And uh, I look at this process as a job application. We need people that are willing to roll up their sleeves and, and really have a can-do attitude and to, to compromise and, and get things done. All right, more interviews with more of the candidates in the coming weeks. And you can see additional footage of those interviews on our website. Just click on In Focus. Coming up next, we'll talk with our panel about the race for Congress and the race for president. Could there be more of a down-ballot effect in Indiana, depending on the matchup this fall? And another endorsement for incumbent Governor Eric Holcomb. Stick around. We'll be right back. This victory here is the beginning of the end for Donald Trump. We've got uh, more work to do to demonstrate the breadth of our support. Uh, but just as we came from uh, uh, zero to top two finishes in the first two states, uh, we believe we will be able to uh, develop, build, and grow uh, a fantastic base of support. It is not about the loudest voice or the biggest bank account. It is about the best idea and about the person who can turn those ideas into action. A lot of developments this week in the race for president. I'm joined now by our panel to talk about the week that was. With us today, conservative blogger Abdul Hakim Shabazz from IndiePolitics.org, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner, former state lawmaker and former Marion County Republican chair Mike Murphy and former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats, Robin Winston. All right, more controversy at the White House. The AG saying the president's tweets are making it hard for him to do his job. Also, some news on the state attorney general we'll get to in a minute, and a race for president that is still pretty muddled here for Democrats. What stood out to you the most this past week? What stood to me the most was Bernie Sanders, who ran against Hillary Clinton, got 60% of the vote. Fast forward four years later, he barely gets 30. Um, so for all this, Bernie's the front runner, super front runner. I don't buy it. I think the big winner out of all that was Amy Klobuchar, uh, who came in a surprisingly third you know, with Bernie and uh, Mayor Pete sort of fighting out for first place. It gives her uh, campaign some major momentum and some major energy. All right, let's take a look at, at those results from New Hampshire right here. Pete Buttigieg, a close second to Bernie Sanders. Uh, but what about these upcoming states, Jennifer? Nevada, South Carolina, Bloomberg's getting on the ballot here. How does this play out? And what about the down-ballot effect this year? Are Democrats concerned about a Sanders nomination. We heard uh, some Democrats in D.C. talking about that this past week, the effect that that might have. Could that have impact here in Indiana? Would a candidate like Christina Hale rather not have Bernie Sanders on the top of the ticket? I definitely think there could be a down-ballot effect, and I think, you know, Democrats in states like Indiana are right to be concerned about Bernie Sanders potentially being at the top of the ticket. I mean, a lot of folks in the Democratic Party are not, do not identify with the more socialist views that you know, Bernie Sanders espouses on the trail. I think a Pete Buttigieg would, would definitely be better for us. Um, I think it was a really interesting uh, New Hampshire primary. And I also, you know, want to go back to something you said in the opening. The, the Bill Barr, uh, Donald Trump skirmish, if you will, that's remarkable. You've got the Wall Street Journal out there editorializing on the side of the attorney general, who's basically just saying what, by the way, all of us have been saying for the last few years, which is, man, lay off the Twitter. Lay off, man. Mike, how do you see this past week? Well, first of all, I think the Twitter war between uh, Barr and Trump, frankly, could be made up. It could be like the professional wrestling theater. You know, you hit me, then I'll hit you. We'll both laugh our <laughs> way to the bank. 
Um, so I don't really put a lot of weight into any of that. Um, I think if, if uh, Sanders wins the Indiana primary, the big loser is Jonathan Weinsaffel. Because a friend of mine who's a very prominent Democrat said, if Sanders wins Indiana primary, then Weinsaffel's cooked for attorney general. So there are going to be down ballot implications no matter what happens. So Weinsaffel's just one of them. As far as uh, New, uh, New Hampshire, I have to agree with Abdul. Klobuchar was a big winner. But remember, as, as uh, Carville and others have said, the, de the moderates in the Democratic Party, if they don't want a socialist nominee, they've got to get their act together and quit being selfish and pick one of the three or four and put that person forward. Is that going to happen? I think it will. Um, you know, this one, this is what happened with Donald Trump. I mean, he kept winning 25, 28 percent of the vote, and then you had very Cru similar. Cruz the way and Rubio and all those people yeah. eating up the rest. Um, somebody's got to make a decision. Can they sustain it? We are getting to the point now, especially Super Tuesday, where 40 percent of the delegates will be selected. You better have enough resources and name recognition to project. And if you don't, you're going to get out. And what about that uh, congressional primary? We mentioned the 5th District. We had some of the candidates on uh, here today. Uh, how, how do you even stand out or begin to stand out in a race with 16 Candidates. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. It surprised me the old song, 16 Candles, that my parents would listen to back in the 1950s. Six, but 16 Candidates. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like or the Molly Ringwald movie right, from, the, right. from the 80s. Uh, I mean, the thing is, uh, like Mike and I were talking about before, you know, if you spread all the votes evenly, all you need is like, what, 7 8% and you win. I really think it's going to come down to money, who can get on television, who can get in front uh, of, the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the Republicans in the 16th District. And let's be honest, in I think it's the 5th District. The 5th District, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We call it the 16th District. Now. <laughs> if, oh, right. If, you, if you're an elected official, I think you automatically walk in with a little bit of name ID, a little bit of advantage. Kelly Mitchell, Carl Brizzy, uh, State Senator uh, Victoria Sparse. Uh, Micah Beckwith has got you know, his church group, but they've been hearing some rumblings about his, his church. People aren't necessarily happy with him. So, I mean, Name, ID, and money, that's what's going to win it. It's a tough balancing act for the Republicans in this race, though, because you have to appeal to the primary voters and then win a district that yeah. is maybe becoming more moderate, though it's still been a red district. It's in the years. red to blue, yeah. and I think that the more candidates, the merrier, the better it is for our friend Christina Hale, who is far and away going to be the, the, probably the nominee in the Democratic side. She has more money. She's got a great ground game. She's run before, and she knows, you know, obviously the, the district. She knows her old district in the, in the House. So I think, you know, have at it, y'all. But as, as we were saying, a lot of this could come down to the dynamics on the top of the ticket as well. We'll see how that all plays out. All right. We also want to talk quickly about a couple other uh, state races here. The race for governor, Governor Eric Holcomb, the incumbent, picking up an endorsement this past week from the Indiana Builders Association. The governor saying he was honored to receive that endorsement from a group that has typically not endorsed political candidates in the past. Also some news coming late Friday on Attorney General Curtis Hill as we talk about this uh, contentious perhaps race for Attorney General as the AG tries to remain in his party's good graces, at least enough to uh, be able to be the party nominee when the convention rolls around this summer. This Friday, Got some news back on the ruling here. It's still perhaps unclear as a, to what his future is uh, in terms of being able to keep his law license. Yeah, right? I had a chance to kind of glance over this. This is like a 36, 37-page ruling. So right. first of all, law school, scroll right to the very end. Yeah. And the recommendation <laughs> by the hearing officer was a suspension uh, for 60 days. His law license would be suspended and not automatically reinstated after that suspension. Now, what's important is to be attorney general in Indiana by statute, you must be an attorney in good standing, which means you must have a license to practice law. If your license is suspended, you cannot be attorney general. Now, the thing is, the hearing officer makes a recommendation to the Supreme Court, and then they'll make the, make the final decision. Uh, and what's interesting, please note, 
the one the disciplinary commission called for a two-year suspension. Curtis Hill's office, his lawyers right. asked for none. But what effect does this have just in terms of the nominating process? Too? It's muddled, to, to use that bull's word. I mean, you know, I, don't, I can't tell you anything because we sat here trying to figure out what all this means. What it means is that Jonathan Weinzapel and Karen Tallian are going to be strong candidates to be the next attorney general. Mike, Jennifer, some quick thoughts on this well, before we wrap it's, it up? it's the equivalent of a conviction in the public's mind. That's all there is to it. So now we're probably looking at... Todd Rakita, Adam Krupp fighting out. Maybe uh, thinking of getting for in. Being the, for being the two legitimate Republican candidates. Um, you know, I can't predict what Curtis Hill is going to do or what his lawyers will say, but it's it's bad news. It's really bad news. Is this a race Democrats have a chance to win? Recently? Absolutely. This you is absolutely is. a race we have a chance to win, and I think that we can win it. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. Much more on our podcast coming up next. It's All-Star Weekend, and we're getting you ready for an All-Star Year right here in Indianapolis next. It's NBA All-Star Weekend, and local officials are in Chicago for the game later today as they look at the ins and outs of hosting the All-Star Game, which is right here in Indy next year. Another big sporting event today, the Daytona 500, live on Fox 59 later today. President Trump will be there in attendance as well. Meantime on CBS 4, some college basketball today as IU hits the road to take on Michigan at 1 o'clock. We're back with this week's winners and losers right after this. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Robin. Uh, those who celebrate Black History Month are my winners, and those who do not are my losers. Well put. Mike? Winner has to be Eric Holcomb. Big federal approval for double tracking the South Shore. We used to call it the Vomit Comet, but it's coming up to <laughs> public standards, <laughs> modern standards. The loser has to be Curtis Hill. All is to it. All right, Jennifer. Really can't follow the Vomit Comet, but I'll try. <laughs> my winner has to be Pete Buttigieg. Second place is still really great, and I think he's uh, on track for the next few primaries. Uh, my loser is Curtis Hill as well. Abdul? I'll give us two winners. Uh, all our spots and significant others will yes. be with us on Valentine's Day and Amy Klobuchar <laughs> coming out of nowhere for a strong third place in New Hampshire, keeping her campaign alive and shaking things up. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next Sunday in Focus. All right, let's uh, talk more with our panel now. Robin Winston, Mike Murphy, Jennifer Wagner, Abdul, Hakeem Shabazz. A lot of great conversation here just in the last few moments in between taping the broadcast and the podcast about so many things happening in the news. We, you've been pouring here, Abdul, through the legal documents. Curtis Hill awaiting still this going before the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court, to make a, a final determination, right? But right. what could happen here? Uh, well, what you got, just so everybody knows, this was a 37-page uh, report by the hearing officer, uh, Judge Myra Selby. So a lot of us can be spending the weekend sort of dissecting and, right. and kind of reading through it. So you do the first thing you do when they taught you in law school, go to the scroll to the very end right. of the opinion, uh, where the uh -huh. hearing officer is recommending a 60-day suspension of the attorney general's law license without an automatic reinstatement. Now, what does that mean? If your license is suspended for 60 days, you cannot practice law. And under Indiana law, to be attorney general, you must be a lawyer in good standing, which means your license must be current. So depending on when that 60 days kicks in, uh, Curtis Hill but not necessarily be attorney general. Now, where it gets weird is what happens after that right. 60 days. Does he get to, does he get to come back uh, because it's does suspended? Does it mean you can't be or, a candidate? Because it means you can't, and that's candidate. where we're now um, all boldly going where no man, woman has gone before. Right. Right. Well, that's, what does you the can't party take, decide to do? Yeah, and you can't take a leave of absence from being attorney general. I would assume that if you have to be a licensed attorney in good standing and you get your license taken away, then you are immediately not attorney general. But I don't know. I am a lawyer, but I still don't know. There's not, yeah, there's not really. There's not real precedent for this. For this. Yes. The the, the closest the closest thing that there is to any sort of precedent, and this is going to guess be my weekend reading project. So folks, follow me at indypolitics.org. Is there were a number of county prosecutors 
uh, that were kind of in the same boat that had their license suspended, uh, not revoked, but suspended. And so the question was, since they were an elected official, could they stay as county prosecutor? Mm-hmm. Did they have to leave and come back? So that's my, that's my homework for well, tonight. What happened to the two judges my in Southern Indiana? My question would be, true. what yeah. would Dwayne Brown's advice to Curtis Hill be? And I think he may say, toe the line. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, uh, just for folks who may not know that reference. Dwayne Dwayne's too. Murphy, I mean, you've uh, been thinking about no that the whole that. time, haven't you? So there was some discussion, too. <laughs> wow. I, I will say this, though. Between Dwayne Brown, Dwayne Sawyer, and Curtis Hill, it has not been a good week for the brothers. I'm telling you, it's just like, man. And it's in focus, inappropriate edition. So moving on from that, again... Black History Month. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it was like his birthday this week, too. <laughs> you guys were discussing and, and disagreeing on whether or not, for Democrats, there's more of an advantage running against uh, Curtis Hill if he gets the nomination or if just the confusion, the chaos of all this makes it difficult for Republicans to put up a nominee who has a good chance of winning in the fall. What, what, what do you think is... How does this play out? See, I don't know. I think you're going to have, um, you know, if it's Jonathan Winesapple, he's obviously a proven fundraiser. He's been um, raising a lot of money. You know, yeah. I think if he winds up being the nominee, I think this may be a race where we have the ability to differentiate ourselves from the rest of the ticket, from the rest of the national foray, and say, you know, this office has been disgraced for the last four years. Let's elect someone who is going to bring back, you know, virtue, honesty, et cetera, and so forth. And I think, you know, that could be Jonathan and he'd but, be but a good the, fit. But the state voters are not going to blame the, uh, blame the Republican Party for Curtis Hill. I mean, on the Democratic side, you do have two good candidates. I respect both Talion and, and uh, Winesapple. I've worked with both of them. I respect them immensely. But on the Republican side, whether it's Adam Krupp or Todd Rakita or some other well-known Republican, they're going to be able to run on a, with a fresh slate. They aren't going to be bound by Curtis Hill's sins, and it's a Republican state. If it's Rokita, he still has instant name ID in the state, and then Trump is still going to win the state of Indiana, particularly if Sanders is the nominee. So it still leans heavily for Republican but we, attorney we general. Seen, but we have seen voters here split their ticket between president yeah, and we've, state we've, that's right. Mitch Daniels, Barack yeah, Obama. Daniels. But yeah. He won attorney general a few times. Don't yeah. forget that. So yeah. what about that down-ballot effect? There's a lot of this just boiled down to who's, whose names are on the top of the ticket. Oh, yeah. Ask, ask John Gregg. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, Trump pulled the Holcomb across the finish line. Um, so I, I think that Curtis Hill won't go quietly into the night. That's the other and issue. And some of you think and, he could very well still be the nominee. Yeah, don't forget this, too. Possible, we right? also, everybody here is going to pay... A, a fee for the lawsuit because he's being sued in his capacity, I was told, as attorney general. Mm. So if that lawsuit is successful, which will give it a lot of credence now if he's suspended, his license suspended, then taxpayers of Indiana are your big losers. And some, some well-known law firm, I don't know who yet, will be the big winner because the taxpayers' money will go to a private firm to defend... Yeah, they're already underway. Lawyers, yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. Already yeah. underway. lawyers are the big winners this week, y'all. No, they're already being represented. Yeah, yeah but, but, but one thing to keep in mind, though, and, and here's why, first of all, uh, going back to 2016, please note, Curtis Hill actually got more votes than Donald Trump. I mean, so let's just... In the state of Indiana. In the state of Indiana. Yeah. Indiana. Yeah. So, and more than Governor Holcomb. And more than Governor right. Holcomb. So he was actually the highest vote-getter in the state of Indiana. So, but number two... This is still a very, very red, very, very Trump country. And the challenge, I do think, you know, our Jonathan Weinsapple, Karen Talian, you know, I think they're more competitive with Curtis Hill in the race than without because they can still point to, you know, look at this behavior. We need an attorney general we can be proud of. Look at, you know, this poor sort of thing. You have Adam Krupp, you know, you know the guy, you know, ran the, you know, the Department of, you know, Department of Revenue. 
Todd Rakita, yeah, he's kind of a jerk, but that's still not necessarily a disqualifier. <laughs> wow. You know. It's still his can't name idea. Can't help himself. <laughs> Abdul can't help himself. He can't, I mean, uh, and even still, you have Jonathan West, John Westerkamp, uh, who's sort of the other uh, candidate uh, in the race. So, you know, does Curtis Hill leaving help Democrats? I don't necessarily, I don't think so. I think it's the other way. I think actually Curtis Hill leaving may actually hurt Republicans in the sense that you have a lot of folks outside of this Donut County 465 bubble because we all who think that Curtis Hill's got railroaded, it was the establishment, it was Eric Holcomb and Kyle Huff were out to get him from day one. No, they got him. Now they're mad and, and been sort of. But when they, when are they going to put him in a nominee? Holcomb is such a mafia type. He just strikes me mafia all the way, doesn't he? I mean, Abdul, when are you going to put him in nomination? About eleven thirty at night at the convention? <laughs> I mean, when I'm a dog, a cat, and a bird I mean, is there? I, I, I mean, just come tell, on, man. Hey, I just tell you folks what I hear driving around and getting outside to get yeah, out. I know, but you guys right. don't. There's not going to be the holding of Holcomb and Hill like this they're at the convention. No, but I think no. Actually, something one of the Defiant Ones movies. What if you saw that going on? We have said this multiple times. This is a convention fight, so it isn't on the people who do not want to see Curtis Hill seated as the nominee to go out and find delegates and recruit them and convince them to vote for someone else. And that's Huffer's job. Right. That's, that's Kyle's Speaking job. Speaking of convention fights, could we be headed there in the Democratic presidential primary? And could Indiana's primary again be influential in that process? It was in 08. It was in 16 for the Republican primary. Oh, yeah. We're going to Milwaukee to have a brawl a little bit. Yeah, that's our party. You think it could get to Some that? people want yeah. us to have it out in the street. I don't want to let that happen. But that's, that's, that's our party. Of course we are. Because Bernie's not going to give up. And Pete's not going to give up. And, and Biden's not going to give up. I think we're going to have a pretty interesting thing. Remember, we don't have superdelegates this time. We don't, superdelegates don't get to vote until right. the second ballot. So your convention delegates that you earn vote the first ballot. And unless somebody has a clear-cut victory, I don't see how that's going to get 1,900 and some delegate votes. Joe Biden going to give up if he doesn't win South Carolina? No. That's going to be... No. Uh, wouldn't that be... You don't think that'd be devastating? No, because we're still in Nevada and you still have Super Tuesday. No. You have to go back to the Clinton example. I mean, what do you lose? 10, 10 out of the first yeah. 12? Yeah. 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 yeah, right. You know, before he... No, I mean, in the Democratic Party, there are literally 10 lives. Yeah. And, the thing to keep and, in, and the other thing to keep in mind, too, is even though Donald Trump is enjoying you know, quite a bit of polling and success right now, uh, go back to your 1992, George Herbert Walker Bush at the time had a 92% approval rating coming out of the first Gulf War. Right. By the time the election comes rolling around, you know, you know, I, William Jefferson Clinton, do right. solemnly swear. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I always tell people a day in politics is, is a lifetime. Uh, what I do think the Democrats need to be worried about is Michael Bloomberg because of his money and he's running commercials and he is doing very well. He's a lot of commercials. commercials. Yeah. Uh, in Chicago where I grew up. He's running commercials already on radio and television. The primary's not for another month away. And trying Why to would we be worried about a guy yeah, that's going to spend $2 billion? I don't, I don't have any worries with that. That's fine with me. It seems like he's <laughs> making a lot of moves in some of the Super Tuesday states when it comes to the polling, too, yeah. uh, amongst voters in Super Tuesday states, amongst African-American voters he's as well. He's on television here. Even though we've seen a lot in the news this past week about his previous uh, stance on stop and frisk and things that he said about that in the past. You know, Democrats want, bottom line, they want somebody who can beat Trump. And I think they ride whatever horse they have to ride to get there. Well, as the old joke goes, that uh, Michael Bloomberg could spend basically $100 million a month and still have $30 billion left over between <laughs> That's right. when the election rolls around. Yeah, That's right. and he's playing the game of, okay, everybody's going to be sick of all these other people by the time they get to Super Tuesday and beyond. And so, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm this guy. Exactly right. Try and if out. you want to work for him, the staff jobs are pretty good paying. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Buttigieg, second place in New Hampshire, yeah. fundraiser here in Indiana this week. But a lot of difficult contests ahead for him in states where he's not been polling very well. Yeah, there are, but I, I think, you know, he's he's like a phoenix, right? He's risen from the ashes to become the, the number one or number two pick. And 
I think where he goes, he's likable. I think it's going to be a bit tougher for him in South Carolina. But we'll see. Nevada is an interesting state, right? The you know the biggest union out there, the kind of the the one who always picks the winner. Did in not Nevada. endorse. No right. endorsement. No yeah. So Nevada's kind of wide open. And also Nevada's a caucus, but I don't think they're using that app. So. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not using it. But the they app. are concerned about the the reporting. Obviously, making sure that a repeat of Iowa does not happen. I believe they vote. Uh, at caucus, I should say, much earlier in the day, yeah. isn't it? Around mm-hmm. uh, lunchtime on, on Saturday. On Saturday. The way they all, yeah, Which then to. will give you more time to calculate the results, <laughs> right. too. So right? I have to ask my good friend, Mr. <laughs> Winston, in Democratic circles, when you guys saw what's happening in Iowa, it's like, thank God, somebody worse than us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read, I read somebody that said they were IDP, but luckily Indiana <laughs> yeah. Democratic Party. Thomas <laughs> Cook tagged me into a tweet about that. And I was like, yeah, no, we never had these kind of issues. Well, their chairman has now stepped down in the uh, oh, yeah. press conference this week. Week at the podium, his sign even fell down. And, and he, probably, he probably had some ballots fall out of his pocket. So, oh, so. Yeah. That was going to be too late. State chairman uh, stepping down. We've got Zodi. Yeah. So Looks a lot like may happen this weekend changed. after we tape. Yeah, uh, Because absolutely. Democrats are meeting on Saturday here. Absolutely. Um, and potentially Carly Macer. Uh, yeah. You hear her name now as maybe a state party I'm, chair. Maybe Robin takes job. the job they, back. Well, well, maybe there'll be a political director. That's what I think you're going to find. Tell you what, if Robin decides to go back and become state chair, I'll run for attorney general on the Republican wow. side. There we go. And then, we're, then we got him. Then we got yeah. him. But then if you follow the norm, you'll mess up. So. Well, I already did. So. In all wow. honesty, you know, I think the best thing for the future of the state Democratic Party, I've said this for a long time, would be to have a more titular chair and then to have an executive director, a political director, a professional staff underneath so that it's separated. I think that's part of the problem that, that John is running into right now is that, you know. Well, he's, he's also running for He's running yeah. for office. He's running Senate, the party. Right. I mean, that's a that's we had really that with tough. Luke Messer and Jim Kittle back in the early 2000s. I think that was a good one. It worked wow. fairly well. Yeah. 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 So. We'll see how all of that uh, shakes out on Saturday. Uh, any more thoughts on the. Fifth district congressional primary. A lot of interviews there. Carl could be a long ballot. It's going to be a long ballot. Be a long ballot. Print, print, I mean, you know, yeah. can you imagine how? I've seen, I've seen shorter CVS receipts. <laughs> Are you talking about? You know, even just do you have an edge because you're alphabetically it higher? It can be because five percentage points. Yeah, they get up there. And women get a bump too. Women get a bump. But I see it as being uh, you have Dietzen and Beckwith fighting for the far far right, and then you have you have Brizzy, you have Mitchell. You have uh, Henderson going toward the, the right center, I would call it, and we'll see what happens. And the so rest of them, we don't even know. Where, has she endorsed? Yeah, she's not endorsed yet. I will, I will tell you, primary, tomorrow right? night we'll there's, a fund, we'll there's a fundraiser for Beth Henderson that Mike Senator Braun is, Braun is going to appear. He's yeah, going to appear at, and I assume there. he'll endorse yeah. or he wouldn't spend his money, right? Former State Party Chair Jeff Cardwell endorsing uh, Chuck Dietzen this yeah. week. Uh, how important are endorsements? I argue that unless somebody's going to give you money or volunteers, your next door neighbor's endorsement is more important than some elected official somewhere. Hey, before, before we go, I want to say hi to Jeff Ray, the former mayor of Mishawaka, who's now the president of the St. Joe County Chamber of Commerce. He told me last week he listens to our podcast every week. Hey, so, wow. wow. Thanks Shout out to Jeff Ray Jeff. from Mishawaka Good. South Bend. Thank you guys for being here. Thank, Thank you, you all for listening. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.